What we have come into the room to do. <laughs> right on. Here goes. the world. This is It's Hot in Here, and this is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. As you probably already knew, the best radio station in the world, um, by many people's opinions. Um, I'm your host today, Jennifer Johnson, and I am here with the fabulous and talented... Andrea Kraus. We are happy to have you. I I am happy to have you (laughs) joining us today. This is fantastic. Um, Andrea has been doing some excellent uh, producing work with us, and now she's in front of the microphone, and and we're very excited about that. Yeah, very quick promotion. Here I am. (laughs) Well, yeah, different levels of uh, uh, expertise. Yeah, I I don't know if I'd call it a promotion, but thank you. (laughs) Thank you. We're very happy today. So what's happening today? Uh, We'll be talking largely about forests and their destruction and the reasons for that. And um, some lovely lady activists who are doing um, really serious, although often fun work to work to change um, some massive deforestation that's going on uh, in Indonesia which is great. Hopefully, uh, Rachel Chatterton will be joining us to tell us what's in season at your local farmer's market. And then uh, Eva Resnick-Day of the Forest Heroes will be joining us. And Brihana La Morgan will join us on the phone from California. And she is now with the Borneo Project. Um, Just a a little news that I'm sure we're all up on. Uh, Lou Reed, longtime musician, uh, passed away on Sunday. And we're joking that anyone with a radio station had had to honor that. Um, We're going to do it a little differently. Um, His wife, uh, Lori Anderson, is an experimental performance artist, composer, and musician. She plays violin, keyboards, and sings, and does some really, really interesting work. and I just want to read this letter that she wrote to her husband because it's lovely. I mean, you yeah. think about those who pass, but not those who, who continue on. So she writes, uh, to our neighbors, what a beautiful fall, exclamation point. Everything shimmering and golden and all that incredible soft light, water surrounds us, surrounding us. Lou and I have spent a lot of time here in the past few years. And even though we're city people, this is our spiritual home. I'm not exactly sure where she's writing from. Excuse me. Oh, last week I promised Lou to get him out of the hospital and come home to Springs, and we made it. Lou was a Tai Chi master and spent his last days here being happy and dazzled by the beauty and power and softness of nature. He died on Sunday morning looking at the trees and doing the famous 21 form of Tai Chi with just his musician hands moving through the air. Lou is a prince and a fighter, and I know his songs of the pain and beauty in the world will fill many people with the incredible joy he felt for life. Long live the beauty that comes down and through and onto all of us. Laurie Anderson, his loving wife and eternal friend. That's quite beautiful. That's lovely. Yeah. And I love the 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 nature imagery, but also the the, the happy forward moving undertones of that. It's really nice. Absolutely. Um this uh this this tune we're gonna play um is is entitled Only an Expert, um, by Laurie Anderson. It's a little Uh, A little more scathing, perhaps, critique of of the state of things, but uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Now, only an expert can deal with the problem, because half the problem is seeing the problem. And only an expert can deal with the problem. Only an expert can deal with the problem. So if there's no expert dealing with the problem... It's really actually twice the problem. Because only an expert can deal with the problem. Only an expert can deal with the problem. In America, we like solutions. We like solutions to problems. And there's so many companies that offer solutions. Companies with names like the pet solution, the hair solution, the debt solution, the world solution. The Sushi Solution. Companies with experts ready to solve these problems. Because only an expert can see there's a problem. And only an expert can deal with the problem. Only an expert can deal with the problem. Uh, 
on Oprah. And you don't have a problem. But you want to go on the show, and so you need a problem. And so you invent a problem. But if you're not an expert in problems, you're probably not going to make up a very plausible problem. And so you're probably going to get nailed. You're going to get exposed. And you're going to have to bow down and apologize and beg for the public's forgiveness. Because only an expert can deal with the problem The shows that try to solve your problems. The big question is always, how can I get control? How can I take control? But don't forget, this is a question for the regular viewer. The person who's barely getting by. The person who's watching shows about people with problems. The person who's one of the 60% of the U.S. population. 1.3 weeks away. 1.3 paychecks away from a shelter. In other words, a person with problems. So when experts say, let's get to the root of the problem, let's take control of the problem, because if you take control of the problem, you can solve the problem. Often this doesn't work at all because the situation is completely out of control. Because only an expert can deal with the problem, and only an expert can deal with the problem, Sometimes experts lend you money. And sometimes they lend you lots of money. And sometimes when the subprime mortgages collapse and banks close and businesses fail and the crisis spreads around the world, sometimes other experts say, just because all the markets crashed doesn't mean it's necessarily a bad thing. And other experts say, just because all your friends were fired and your families broke and we didn't see it coming doesn't mean that we were wrong. And just because you lost your job... Wow, pretty scathing critique of the, the the state of expertise and and the nature of problems. Um, hey, this just in: we have a website now, our yeah. very own. You can find um, all kinds of good stuff on there, links uh, to some of the resources that we mentioned on the show, as well as previous episodes that you can listen to, mm-hmm. and some cool pictures. Yeah, yeah just really fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's hotinhere.us. And by us, we mean us and all of y'all out there. Um, and we're also going to include some links to the uh, the tunes we 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 play. So if you have enjoyed that Laurie Anderson tune, Only an Expert, you can hear it in its glorious entirety um, in the future by going to hotinhere.us, which is fun. Okay, so here's some news for you. This is really exciting. This is coming off the BBC. Young parrotfish explore while adults stay at home, the the title is. So there's uh, been doing some research on parrotfish in coral reefs. Um, and it's really important to understand the life histories of fish if you want to think about their management. And it's it's interesting to see them kind of on this human timescales. The youth, the young fish are talked about as juveniles and, and that kind of thing. So researchers uh, in Australia were mapping the movements of individual fish from very young ones to mature adults. And they found um, that small parrotfish quickly expand their range as soon as they settled on a reef. Now, this expansion stopped uh, once the fish matured and their final home range was unrelated to the size of their body. So they're tracking body size and and where they're moving. So it seems like uh, uh, fish, much like humans, like to get out and explore during their their sort of more adolescent, youthful phases. Yeah, you got to go get out there, have those life experiences. That's right. Find out where you want, what reef you want to hang out on. What are the what are the fish like at this reef? Maybe I prefer the climate over here. (laughs) This one has better food. That kind of thing. I like the music better at this reef. Mm-hmm. That kind of that kind of thing. Well, another piece of news um, with a different animal off of grist dot org um, is actually talking about how a Dutch designer 
Agye Hosgra. Nice work. Um, yeah, that was, that was a tough one. <laughs> Sorry, Agye. Uh, actually is coming up with a way to solve the problem of um, basically plastic not being biodegradable. So he has found, or he or she has found a way to um, come up with bioplastic through the use of dead beetles, which... I'm not sure. It could be great. Could maybe turn some consumers off. But the way that this is done is that Hoekstra peels the leftover beetles to leave only their outer shells, which consists of natural polymer called chitin. Then they subject the shells to a chemical process and convert them into chitosan, which apparently can be pressed into plastic with heat um, and is completely biodegradable. And because we're all about transparency, um, he is all about making sure that people know what they're using. So he wants to keep the structure of the beetle in the plastic. Wow. So I don't know. How do you would feel you, about that? Would you eat from a beetle, a beetle spoon? I think I would. But yeah. at the same time, I'm a returned Peace Corps volunteer. So I feel like <laughs> I, anything could be a receptacle. <laughs> Seriously. Grasshoppers for dinner? Yes, please. They Absolutely. are delicious. <laughs> anything could be a receptacle or a utensil. That's wonderful. Right. Well, uh, maybe we'll, we'll take a poll later. Beetles. Uh, uh, Paul Stromberg, our engineer, would you eat from a beetle spoon? I would eat from uh, most types of spoons. <laughs> That's great. Well, we're really flexible here. I love that. That's wonderful. Okay, so the last piece of news, which is also confusing in terms of do we like this, do we not? Um, there's, uh, as you probably know, been a lot of talk about the Keystone XL 1,300-mile uh, uh, pipeline and uh, that, that is, is moving or proposed to move oil from all over the place from the tar sands in Canada down to the Gulf Coast of uh, the U.S. Now, the the debate has gotten heated in, in recent days, and um, apparently a long bike path throughout the length of the pipeline running alongside it is a proposed solution to sort of neutralize uh, environmental concerns and still allow the pipeline to continue. Hmm. Um. Environmentalists apparently are unimpressed with this compromise. Uh, destroy the planet, but we'll just go ahead and ride our bikes. It's kind of like you suckers kind of thing going on there. Um, <laughs> the article I'm reading, reading this from is, is not particularly erudite, but it's really funny. So this is from the Daily Coast. Is that how you say it? I don't know. It says, perhaps the biggest flaw in the plan, however is that everyone knows that bike paths are a secret plot by the United Nations to make us subservient to lesser animals <laughs> like cows and alpacas and whatnot. So there you go. So if you think the, the Keystone expansion of the pipeline going to XL is controversial now, they say just wait until the conservative right got hold of the idea that the pipeline would be bicycle friendly. <laughs> so that could be great. So maybe their uh, uh, rejection of the supposed their supposed rejection of, of bicycle-friendly policies would actually halt the, the building of the pipeline. Who knows? I don't know. That's, that's, a, pretty that's a very bizarre mix of interests right there. It really is. Um, but I suppose common, common ground can be found somewhere, although is that a great idea? No comment, but probably not. Right. It's probably better to not have a pipeline than to have a really great bike lane. Depends on who you ask. That's absolutely true. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. But ah. if you're going to have the pipeline, why not have a bike lane? I didn't. Woo! Right. Um, and a couple of things going on at SNRE, the School of Natural Resources. Um, on November 8th, there's going to be a great talk by two scholars on sustainable and resilient urban infrastructure in the next 100 years. So maybe a little bit more about bike lanes there. Hey, um, ask your questions. That's going to be November 8th at 2 p.m., room 1040, which is open to the public. And it'll be professors Christopher Kennedy and um, Professor John Crittenden. Excellent. Um, just a few days later, on November 11th, we will have a talk at SNRE by Monica Ellis, who is the CEO of Global Water Challenge. Hmm. And she's going to be talking about some of the challenges um, concerning lack of access to safe drinking water around the world. 
uh, and the work that she's doing pertaining to that. So that will also be room 1040 in the Dana building um, from 5 p.m. to 6.30. And I just think that both of those talks are incredibly important and are bound to be really interesting. Fantastic. So if you want more details on that, because your brain is not... uh as mine is not as well. Oh my goodness! Able to <laughs> absorb and make note and upload this simultaneously to your uh, Google Calendar or whatever your calendar of choice is. Go to snre.umich.edu, snre.umich.edu, and uh, you'll find more information there for those events. We should jam into a tune and then uh, hopefully get Eva on the air with us. This is There's Only So Much Oil in the Ground by Tower of Power off their album Urban Renewal. Yes, it is. Hey, everybody. It's the time of the season for Romanesco cauliflower, otherwise known as Romanesco broccoli, which is apparently gorgeous and delicious. I recommend that you look it up. It has a striking appearance because its form is a natural approximation of a fractal. 
Uh, when it's compared to a traditional cauliflower as a vegetable, its texture is far more crunchy. And its flavor is not as assertive, being delicate and nutty, says Wikipedia, which is it's making me really hungry. Um, first documented in Italy, it's sometimes called a Baraka flower, um, but that name apparently is not sticking all the time. Gorgeous, gorgeous looking vegetable here. Quite a few of them, really good looking ones at the farmer's market. Hey. So you should be on the lookout for those. And I saw the LA Times has a good article on them on how to choose them, how to store them, and how to prepare them. One way to prepare them is to break them into florets, Mm -hmm. which apparently um, keeps them crisp. Dress them with some vinaigrette made with good olive oil, red wine vinegar, minced garlic, and chopped pitted black olives. We can go do that right now. Let's do that. All right. Sorry, guys. Uh, No more talk about forests and... (laughs) fighting corporate America, we're just going to go roast some delicious cauliflower. But that looks so nice. So if you see something that looks like a broccoli and also a cauliflower, just go ahead and buy it and roast it. And I think you're really, really going to enjoy it. Thank you to Rachel Chatterton for telling us what was in season uh, today. Uh, in honor of the Braca flower, we're going to play a, uh, a, a more modern take on a classic version of Mambo Italiano. A boy went back to Napoli Because he missed the scenery The native dances and the charming songs But wait a minute Something's wrong Calabrese do the mambo like a crazy with it. Hey mambo, mambo italiano. Hey, hey mambo, mambo italiano. Top, top, top. You mixed up a Siciliano. All you Calabrese do the mambo like a crazy with it. Hey mambo, you don't wanna tarantala. Hey, hey mambo, no more mozzarella. Hey mambo, mambo italiano. Try an angelada with fish and Hey. Where you ain't gonna go nowhere now joined by Eva Resnick Day, who was actually a guest a month ago, uh-huh. but is gracious enough to <laughs> come back and join us. Um, for those of you who weren't able to listen a month ago, Eva is the campaign organizer for Forest Heroes. Could you talk to us a little bit about what you're doing? Yeah. Um, so the Forest Heroes are here in Michigan and Ann Arbor and throughout the state. Um, 
building um, a campaign to pressure Kellogg's, the cereal company that we all know and love, which is actually based out of Battle Creek in Michigan, um, to stop sourcing palm oil that is destroying rainforests in in Indonesia for palm oil. Um, And so that's a huge um, problem for a lot of reasons. It's driving global climate change. Um, Indonesia has become the third largest contributor to global warming in the entire world because of this deforestation. Obviously, that's not good. Um, And it's also um, pushing out Sumatran tigers and orangutans. And, you know, Kellogg's has Tony the Tiger that everyone knows and loves. So we see a lot of irony there. Um, But, you know, Kellogg's really does listen to um, its consumers, especially here in Michigan in their backyard. So we're just getting them to do the right thing and be a forest hero. Wonderful. And how are you engaging with Kellogg's? How are you how are you uh, getting them to become more aware of what the effect of their business is? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so the way that Kellogg's looks at it is um, they're not actually the ones um, destroying the rainforest in Indonesia. It's their business partner, Wilmar International, the Asian agribusiness that's um, responsible for this deforestation. And they were um, ranked twice by Newsweek as the least sustainable corporation in the entire world. So wow, that's a, that's that a little, is quite yeah, that's saying something. Yeah, that's yeah. saying something, <laughs> that's right? Worse than Monsanto or Exxon. Um, so what Kellogg's is saying is, you know what? Well, we're not the ones doing the deforestation. We're like, well, you're partnered with the least sustainable company in the world. Um, so you have to, you need to use your leverage um, to get them to adopt better practices. So um, so Kellogg's knows, and they definitely know we're here. We ran into their CEO um, in Battle Creek in a coffee shop, so we got to talk to him. I was just going to say, were you just like, oh, hey, buddy? <laughs> he actually walked in up and was shop. like, are are you the guys with the orangutan costume? <laughs> are like, you the people Ab- giving me a lot of trouble right now? <laughs> yeah. And so we're like, yep, yep, we are. <laughs> so let's talk about it. <laughs> what, was, what was his reaction like? How did you do it? Was he pretty receptive to what you were saying? Yeah. So they like to think of themselves as a sustainable and socially um, responsible corporation. Um, so our job is ca- to kind of say, well, I'm glad that you're making all these steps and that you are looking at your own supply chain, but um, you have to, you can't um, partner with the least sustainable business um, in the world world and then call yourselves a sustainable corporation. So he was just kind of trying to skirt around that. But um, in general, they know we're here. Um, we've been to career fairs. We've been to panels um, where, where they had um, their sustainability quarter on that coordinator there. Um, so they know we're here in Michigan and they know what we're asking of them. And increasingly, they're more receptive as we get, um, I think, somewhere around 15 um, news articles <laughs> about them in Walmart International. So they don't like that. Nobody yeah. wants to sit down to their cornflakes, knowing that they're killing orangutans. Yeah, no. I'm pretty sure. Exactly. Um, Rachel Chatterton, uh, I think you're on the line now. Is that oh. correct? Is it correct? I know you want to be. Unfortunately, I uh, barreled through the Rachel's oh, What's It season for the, the cauliflower. Hey, Rachel, if you're here, just say hey. Man, phones are difficult, aren't they? <laughs> All right, let's continue about... C- <laughs> <laughs> Cereal and trees. Hey, uh, we'd like to remind everybody that this is college radio. And it is live. And it is live. Live, live college radio, friends. <laughs> we're just having having a great time, and, and we're all happy that, that you're with us. <laughs> Patience and all. Okay. Um, but that's incredibly exciting. I'm, I, you know, I'm an MBA student myself, mm-hmm. so I think I can I can test to the fact that business students and um, the corporate leaders that come in definitely, I think, genuinely state as a concern um, the externalities of their business. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but you know, it's it's important that NGOs like Forest Heroes and can continue to make them aware mm-hmm. of what what the effect is of what they're doing and who they're partnering with because yeah. ultimately they're profiting from it right exactly so. exactly and i think that um especially with kellogg's when they know that this is something their consumers don't want um they have to change because they they thrive off of being a family business and if families aren't happy with them they have to change that's the bottom line that's what we're doing. <laughs> so how uh, you were you were telling us at the musical interlude um, <laughs> about some exciting work that was going on around the Halloween holiday. Yeah. So we know, you know, during the Halloween season, everyone's buying a ton of candy. And a lot of that has palm oil in it that um, comes from destroyed yeah. forests in Southeast Asia, including, you know, Hershey and Mars and a host of them. And they're all having like really strong social media pushes, um, trying to get out there and get people buying their products for Halloween. So what the Rainforest Action Network and Forest Heroes and some other nonprofits did was get hundreds and hundreds of our activists um, on social media.
media on Twitter, on Facebook, um, posting to their walls and tweeting at them saying, we don't want to have to choose between, you know, having a fun Halloween and destroying our rainforest. Right. Um, and so that was just really crazy because you go to any of their Facebook walls or Twitter um, and, you know, they're trying to get their positive message out there about Halloween, but all you see is all this criticism about palm oil. And so they had to start responding to all of that, which was really great. Absolutely, because I'm sure that there's consumers that didn't know, you mm-hmm. know, that by purchasing this, especially in such huge quantities on Halloween, that they're mm-hmm. also kind of feeding into it. So yeah. that's incredible that you, you know, brought up the awareness there. Yeah. Cool. So it's exciting. We hope that made some kind of a difference there on Halloween. That's not scary at all. No, that's, no. that's really good I'm and wholesome friendly. and lovely. Tiger friendly Halloween. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, we're going to go to a tune. I'd like to remind you that Weston is up next on the next show. It's going to be really exciting. Playing some delicious freeform radio for your ears. Reminding you that this is WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Um, in honor of your heroes, here's a little tune in French. I don't even know. Les Heroes right. by the Pinker Tones. <laughs> and then uh, Brihanna La Morgan will be joining us momentarily to talk more. songs in another language is that as far as I know, it's much more difficult to violate the FCC regulations <laughs> because I have no idea uh, what that tune's about. But I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's important uh, and, and lovely. Heroes, you know, it's right, in, it's right there in the title. Um, maybe you can uh, give us a comment if you know about it yeah. on our website, hotinhere.us. Please do. The comments are open. Comments are open. We will be patrolling them, ready to hear about them. And enjoying them. So, Brihanala, are you with us now? I am indeed. Yes. Woo. Yes. Oh, it's great to hear you. <laughs> Welcome. Me too. Welcome. So, Brihanala is working now uh, with the Borneo Project, but I first met her back in 2006 when we were master students at the School of Natural Resources and Environment here at the University so of Michigan. Long ago. So long ago. We've come so far, except I'm still here. You've gone yeah, so far. And I'm still doing all the same work, so really it's not that far. <laughs> but it sounds like there's there's definitely been uh, some some amazing progress and activism going on in your sites. But before we get ahead of ourselves, Bria, why do you care about forests in Indonesia so very, very much? Um, or Malaysia? Well, Indonesia? Malaysia? Sorry, what was that? Sorry, I think I said, uh, yeah. Um, maybe I'm getting my countries wrong. Why do you care so much about forests? Oh, 
Well, Indonesia is correct. So Borneo is divided up between three different countries, Indonesia, Malaysia, and the tinsy tiny country of Brunei Darussalam. Um, mostly I work in Malaysian Borneo, but I've also worked in Indonesian Borneo. So mm-hmm. Indonesia mm-hmm. was totally accurate. Um, okay, and there's sort of a two-part answer to that question. First, there's the fact that I just have a really personal connection to there. I, was, um, I grew up in Borneo. And I lived there from age 9 to 15, um, mostly in small villages with my mom, who's an anthropologist, and who was doing research there on oral literature and traditional stories. So I had the opportunity to see the rainforest there when it was still really incredibly beautiful and pristine. And then I went back after college, and I visited some of the same places. And those places, many of them were just decimated Mm -hmm. by palm oil plantations and Rivers that once were clean and clear that people could use for fishing were now polluted and toxic. Mm-hmm. Land that people were used to use for farming was now destroyed for, was taken over by palm oil plantations, so they had no source of their traditional livelihoods. Um, so that's my personal reason for being so passionate about forest conservation, particularly in Borneo. Um, but, of course, there's also the global climate impact and the fact that there's incredible endangered species like you guys have been talking about with orangutans and the basic fact that I don't want to live in a world where we prioritize a cheap oil source over the right of indigenous communities to survive and to thrive. How did, do you have a sense of how the, the palm plantations got started in the first place? In... Yeah, so it's kind of complicated. It has to do with a lot of um, international trade agreements around the time when the World Bank was um, offering structural, I guess they still are, but when they started offering structural adjustment programs, the IMF started offering structural adjustment programs to, um, quote-unquote, developing economies in order to have them become part of the world economy. Mm -hmm. And so in Indonesia, the president at the time, Suharto, um, he took loans from the World Bank, and in return, they made him commit to expanding palm oil plantations in Indonesia. Because if you're now, uh, if sorry. you're Indonesia, you need foreign currency. Uh, you do. I hope you could read the scare quotes in my voice there. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, but in the end of the day, I mean, there you know, it's it's held on so strongly because it's you know the cheapest source of vegetable oil in the world. Like, you can't get cheaper vegetable oil. So, and with the atrocious environmental and labor standards in Indonesia, they're able to make, they're able to um, get a lot of resource for basically very little money. Wow. I mean, I, this, the, the issue of palm is, is close to my heart and actually field sites now that there's a lot of clearing of islands in Lake Victoria and saying, let's clear so much more land to plant palm basically. Mm-hmm. And then the, as, as you stated with the effects on water and fisheries, um, various fertilizers, pesticides, all these things coming in and just increasing the turbidity of the water because of erosion. This is like right. essential fish habitat around these islands. It just seems so frustrating and crazy to, mm-hmm. to plant palm all over it for export. I mean, it's for export. It's not targeted for local consumption in any way absolutely wow wow so these these commitments to a place and seeing that change was incredibly influential in your own career decisions it seems mm-hmm. wow um the, we included a picture of you on on the flyer for the show of you with a a lovely primate of some kind on your lap is this a picture of me at age nine like, yeah. <laughs> I thought, I hope she's not going to... It's just the most adorable picture. I've never seen anything like it. It's quite cute. (laughs) It is is a great picture. Just for your listening audience, I'm actually 32 now, not nine years old. You're you're an activism (laughs) prodigy uh, here here at age nine doing all this work. Have you always been with the Borneo Project since leaving SNRE, or were you with a different group initially? No, I actually left SNRE to take a job as the palm oil campaigner as part of the Rainforest Action Network, um, Rainforest Agribusiness Campaign. So (laughs) I kicked off their palm oil campaign, which is still going really strong, about six years ago. Eva Resnick Day with us in the studio, (laughs) attesting to that very fact. Yeah, I've I've been working with the Rainforest Action Network folks quite a bit. Um, They're, you know, working to target um, all conflict palm oil with the 20 largest snack food companies. So they're doing a great job. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, no, they're they're great. And that's 
sort of, it's really exciting to see that campaign that I started so many years ago um, <sighs> doing cool. such great work right now. So, yeah, so I, I worked for RAND for a couple of years. And then I, <laughs> um, I finished my degree finally that I left at Michigan um, at Berkeley, yeah. working on palm oil issues and forest conservation, and then um, did a bunch of work actually in Indonesia and Malaysia with small groups that are community-based organizations that are fighting for land rights and fighting against palm oil plantation expansion. And now, um, yeah, started with the Borneo Project about three years ago. That's beautiful. I want to take us to a little uh, tune to get us situated uh, in the area. And then I want to hear about some um, upcoming activism or ongoing, actually, uh, around the construction of dams um, that, great. that the Borneo Project has been involved in. So this song um, is called Karanji Manis. Uh, it's Borneo, from an album, Borneo, Music of the Dayak and Punan. <laughs> so let's check it out. <laughs> Kada payasnya adik, nendang tantra di kampung lain ojar te handak menyangking yone te elohan tuan balas ting kambang koranye adoh, nendang aduh buata ongot kalau te buata resta kambang koran jemanis adoi waktu sekarang adi dindeng dipandang rasa tar ongot adoh rasa talanjor kalau ibadan tanra di kampung Dindeng iluhan tuan balas ting ojar Koran jimani sasangking teda payasnya Tiadang sanggup manyangking kambang koran jimani Aduh ading tidak maunjuk balas ting tuan balas ting kakam mangkoran jimanis aduh aduh All right, we're back. This is a hot in here. Suddenly we're in Borneo. Can any can you feel it? I can. Yes. I'm not sure exactly what it feels like. What does it feel like? Bria? It's really humid. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> And the weather changes quite a bit when there's no trees. Absolutely. The kind of coolness of a forest can just disappear and, and it becomes hot sun as well. Mm-hmm. So it seems you sent me some great press releases about some really interesting activism blockading um, uh, the, 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 some proposed dam sites. Could you tell us more about that, please? Sure. So this so dam expansion is mostly happening in um, Malaysian Borneo right now, which is sort of the northern third of the island of Borneo. Um, and the government of Malaysia has plans to put in 12 massive mega dams um, on the last undammed rivers in Borneo. And so what, the reason this is particularly scary is because deforestation in Borneo has mostly happened around the coast. Mm-hmm. And so it is pretty well logged on the coast, but that means that the center of the island is still actually relatively intact rainforest. It's still intact habitat for endangered species, and it's still where a lot of indigenous communities um, live and um, live a relatively traditional lifestyle dependent on the natural resources and the forests and the rivers and all of that. Um, and this is exactly where the, they want to put the dams in. So, um, so they're planning on doing um, building 12 dams. They've built three of them already. 12. And the communities across Borneo are standing up and taking powerful nonviolent direct action, blockading the roads leading up to the dams. Currently, there are three blockades that are in process right now on these, on these roads leading up to the dams. They're trying to stop the impoundment or the filling of the Murum Dam, which is, which is already, construction's already been completed. 
um, and communities are beginning to be resettled, and they're trying to stop the, even the beginnings of the construction of the Baram Dam. And the Baram Dam would be a particularly destructive dam, displacing over 20,000 people um, on a very, you know, very populated river basin. So that's sort of, in a nutshell, what's happening right now. And then once you create a large, I mean, dams can do wonderful things, like give us power, right? I mean. Mm-hmm. We couldn't be having this radio show right now if there if there hadn't right. have been a dam somewhere probably over the course of history. Okay, I acknowledge that. But um, and and presumably people also um, in Indonesia want electricity. Um, Absolutely. Although a lot of times that electricity goes for uh, factories and industrial kinds of production over kind of household distribution, which is an additional problem. Um, Absolutely. But the change actually. Yeah. Sorry to jump in there. That's actually a really good point when you're talking about the dams in Sarawak, which, just as a, a little correction, is actually in Malaysia, not in Indonesia. Okay. Um, but there is no actual demand for the power for these dams right now. So, Malaysia, so the state of Sarawak is already meeting 100% of its energy needs with the dams that it already has. It actually already has extra power. And they, so the entire goal for these dams is to provide power for industry, particularly dirty Chinese industry, like aluminum smelting, that they want to bring into Malaysia. And to add sort of insult to injury, they don't even have contracts for this yet. There are no solid agreements that anyone will oh, ever wow. use this power. But they want to drown out priceless habitat. They want to displace and force communities into poverty because... Hopefully, someday, maybe China would import its most destructive and dirty industries into Malaysia. Do you, I mean, this is something I'm getting from um, anthropologist Anna Singh's work, um, both mm-hmm. in the early 90s and then, and then uh, early 2000s as well. This, this sense that the people who are living um, in this area, exactly where you're saying where the dam uh, uh, is, would be put in, are sort of seen as kind of unruly, unruled, and something that the state needs to kind of bring in to control to a certain degree. Um, yeah. Or the state perceives a need to do that, um, or, or perhaps less kind of legitimate rights to land and, and decisions like that. What is your sense? I mean, what else is say- this dam doing? I mean, if it doesn't make sense from the economic standpoint, at least right now. Mm-hmm. What is it doing? Why is it, why is it happening? Why is it there? Yeah. Great question. Um, so the chief minister of Sarawak is this guy, um, Abdul Saib Mahmoud, and he's been in power for 33 years mm-hmm. and has won a lot of extremely controversial um, slash unfair elections. As you do uh, in your 30-some plus years tenure. Yeah, right. That's, that's what happens when you're in power for 33 years, right? Like you don't actually, unless everyone loves you, which I can guarantee not everyone loves this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but... So what's happening is they're taking money from, um, actually from pension funds from Malaysia, from Malaysian citizens, mostly citizens of Sarawak, and using that money to hire the construction workers, to hire the logging companies that are coming in and clear-cutting the areas that will be underwater. And this money, because because of how corrupt these dam expansion projects are, find their way back into the pockets of the chief minister and his family members, who are the powerful people who actually own these construction businesses. So on a very sort of immediate level, he is personally profiting from the expansion of these dams, even though it has nothing to do with actually expanding and improving life for his citizens. Wow. That absolutely speaks, I think, to the heart of a lot of unsustainable development problems where the excuse is usually like, well, we can't worry about the environment just yet when people are hungry, when there's money that's needed, there's power that's needed. But if there's not, you know, a fair democracy and equal distribution of wealth. As then, if that exists even in the right, yeah. country that is purporting to spread it all over <laughs> Ab- the world. Absolutely. But, yeah. uh, you know, how, how can how can that trickle down effect ever really happen? And then. You know the yeah. environmental concern grow organically if 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 you have this kind of a setup around the world, including and in, yes, right. Indeed. And I think <laughs> one of the things that sort of illustrates this, particularly for this for the dams, so clearly is there are communities that are literally right downstream from the dams, like a twenty minute walk 
from the dam, power lines go straight over their heads, but the power is not electrifying the villages. So even communities that are right next to these dams are not actually getting power from them. And if the real goal was to develop the small villages of Indonesia, these would be, or Malaysia, these would be the most logical villages to electrify. Absolutely. Well, especially to, to kind of quell any potential unrest from these projects themselves. So what brave um, activists, those who are who are doing these blockades? I mean, is there, do you have a sense of, uh, had there been attempts to, how have the, the companies building these, these dams and the government been attempting to stop this from happening or how are they dealing with it? Um, people have been arrested. Um, yeah. So far, there hasn't been much that's happened beyond arrest. So, you know, in other parts of the world, there have been people who have definitely been killed or disappeared because of their anti-dam activism. So far, that has not happened in Malaysia, which we're really thrilled and excited about. Um, But, yeah, mostly people have been arrested Mm -hmm. or at some point people have decided to give up their blockades and have moved on to focusing on a new blockade. Mm -hmm. That being said, people are getting more and more serious about the impact or about the impact that dams are going to have on their communities and the dams they're planning on building are impacting more and more people. So this is certainly going to be something that's escalating over the next years. Wow. I mean, where I work, if there's political unrest, they just bring out the tear gas. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And the pink, the pink hoses of dye. So then all your family will know that you're a political dissident. Isn't that fun? Wow, that's crazy. And some rubber bullets. That that's so smart and awful. And actual guns. I think it, it was something that actually came out in South Africa um, during apartheid. Yeah. Um, and, and then it's a technique that's been exported yeah. uh, around. The U.S. too, that happened at the G20 in Pittsburgh. I was uh, on the receiving end of that tear gas and bullets and whatnot. Wow. So it's in the U.S. too, right. but it wasn't on the news. Surprise. The spray color is is a nice touch. <laughs> I would wear that. And it's like hot pink. I mean, I would wear that as a badge of honor, uh, personally. Um, uh, Bria, I want to play a little bit more of, of a tune, and then I want to come back and talk a little bit about um, kind of professional activism work and what, what it's like, what it means to um, make your living doing something that you find so personally important and meaningful. Um, so if that's all right with you. Sounds great. Okay, awesome. What is this tune? I don't even know. Oh, yeah. Heroes, David Bowie. There you go. You could be a hero for a day or you could be a hero for most of your lifetime by dedicating your career to making positive changes in the world. Ladies, you are both 
in in sort of activist formal sort of activist careers would would you call yourself is that something is that a fair characterization i would say so yeah for me Mm -hmm. (laughs) definitely what is i mean what does that mean how is that different than than any other job (laughs) it's extremely different than any other job um you spend a good comparison yeah yeah you spend your entire life your your sole job is to bring people together to raise their voices to influence um a company a government um any any corrupt thing to change the status quo so your work it doesn't you don't start and finish it in a day you don't go to work and then you're done <laughs> you're like your heart is there always and there, it's never done it's continuous and it's always going to be on your mind and i don't think that's true with a lot of work and it's also incredibly rewarding but it's mm. you know, it's you know but it's really tough a lot of the times because your heart is so invested in it mm-hmm. my how do you how do you do that self-care that's important to make sure you can continue to do this important work on some issues that can be quite devastating Bria, do you have any advice on that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just lose my mind on a daily basis. I mean, I think think it's very true that the work of activism is work that is sort of something that's never off your mind. And you do this work because you love it. And you also do this work because of the incredible community of activists that it makes you part of. And so I think everyone does self-care in a different way. And, you know, there's obvious things like making sure you're taking time for being healthy and eating well and getting your rest. But I think even more than that, what I, what keeps me in activism, and I've now, aside from a short stint in graduate school, been a professional activist for over a decade, um, is the community of people that it surrounds me with. And so making sure that I take time to be in solidarity and support of other people who are doing work that is related in terms of social justice, in terms of environmental justice, and knowing that I have the backs of my fellow activists means that they have my back as well. And I think that strength of community is what makes it possible for me to continue to do this work year after year. So on the topic of community, I would love to ask the both of you, um, because you're both you know, very involved in this and extremely passionate and working really hard for this. Um, But at at this point, you know, uh, from you, Eva, just jumped in a few years ago. You're, uh, I don't don't know how old you are, but (laughs) you're 23. (laughs) Fresh. Bria, you're, you've been doing it a little bit longer. So I I would just. You can go, you can say it. I'm just old. (laughs) I get it. It's cool. Seasoned. Seasoned experience. Rich. Like, yeah, rich with flavor. But I would love to hear from from both of you your point of views from where you're at right now um you know there's young women and men listening to this that maybe also have their hearts um set in this direction just you know what pieces of advice do you have based on your own experience um for those listening and maybe even for each other you know um as far as as what it means to be an activist and and how to how to either get into it or how to not get bogged down and how to keep up the keep up the work even though it's incredibly difficult the youth want to take this first, and then oh, old gosh. age can go second. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I don't, I don't know that I have that much great advice yet. Um, I mainly just follow what you are passionate about. Don't enter into a big organization that's going to tell you what project you're working on and what project mm. you need to do and what your day is going to look like. Mm. Which you know, it's great to get skills that way. But if you're not waking up every morning and feeling passionate about what you're doing, you're mm. going to get burnt out, and you're not going to be able to. To continue um and also you're celebrating the small victories along the way with the people that you worked towards it with um and really celebrating those moments is important now tell me the no, tell me the real answer now <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a pretty <laughs> real answer Eva. you're a smart guy absolutely <laughs> the real answer um i would say though that i think it's important to acknowledge as you keep on doing this work mm-hmm. um that not you will not wake up every morning excited about yourself. <laughs> oh, I know um, that already. <laughs> and and that's okay, right? Because yeah. at some point, a lot of the work that we do is the unglamorous work of answering the emails, of doing the fundraising, mm-hmm. of trying to get people out to an event. And the fact is, and I think it's important for folks that are considering activism as a career, um, to know that you know. A, the dramatic actions are really fun and are great to do, 
but a lot of the work you do is going to be behind the scenes and it's going to be something that you really have to be able to tap into your inner love for um, the cause that you're fighting for to sort of find passion for every day. Um, Your question was really big. And so I (laughs) I could answer it in a lot of different ways. I mean, there's a lot of sort of practical ways of finding your way as a, as a professional activist and sort of how you follow that career path. Um, I don't really know where to focus on that question. It's no, just so I th- big. I think your answer has been fabulous. It was really okay. good. <laughs> and I'll give the standard it's hot in here answer. We should do a whole show on this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, which all of those things are possible. Uh, indeed. Indeed. Anything is. If you would like more information about the work of the Borneo Project, please visit Borneo Project. Dot org. It's that easy, folks. <laughs> same with Forest Heroes. Forestheroes.org. Oh, my gosh. Same with so this radio show. Hottenhere.us. Mm-hmm. Apparently, org at all were taken. And even if it weren't, we are not a corporation or a, or a commercial organization. So I refuse to take a com. Hottenhere.us. And we will have also links uh, to to the other um, great sites there. Wow. I thank you so much. Eva, thank Resnick, you. Day and Brihanala, Morgan, Bria. So great to hear you. I love that we mostly yeah. just talk on the radio. I know, it's great. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I like love to have more conversations with you, but it, it's a great way to maintain a, a friendship. Totally. Let's be and serious. yeah, bring me back for that, like how to be an activist show. Yes, that sounds really great. Thank Both you so you, much yeah. for for <laughs> all that you do. We we really really appreciate it. All right. Great. Thank you. Wow, wonderful. Um, any last? Oh. Yes. There's <laughs> Oh. Uh, I have to find something really quickly to say that's important that I said I was going to say. Um so if if you ladies could talk amongst yourselves for two <laughs> seconds. Oh my god. Well, College radio everybody. Wonderful. Well, Eva, um I know you also wanted to make an announcement. Yeah. Yeah, so Oh, hey. <laughs> for anyone who's listening today that's got really impassioned about um, the issue of destroyed forests in Malaysia and Southeast Asia and Indonesia, um, we're doing our small part here in Michigan. Um, we have um, a rally coming up outside of the headquarters of Kellogg's in Battle Creek, so about an hour away. That's uh, going to be on November 20th, and we'll be sending lots of cars and buses over there. Um, and so basically, Kellogg's um, has told us that it's not their responsibility to um, try to stop this deforestation in Southeast Asia, and we're going and telling them that it is um we're gonna have yeah yeah, um so we're delivering thousands and thousands of petitions that we've been collecting from across michigan and hundreds of handwritten letters from families um and actually students as well saying that they don't want to work for kellogg's if they continue to destroy rainforests in indonesia um and it'll be really fun too so all kinds of costumes tony the tiger outfits of course (laughs) um so if you're interested in coming to that um you should contact me um probably um which is eva ev at greencore.org so the green as in the color and then c-o-r-p-s dot org or find out more at foresthero's.org excellent thank you so much thank for you. all the work you do hey this is going to be a really cool so next week November 7th, which is a Thursday, I'm pretty sure, from 5 to 6.30 p.m. Uh, University alumni um, Mark Benelli, I believe, is giving a talk on his new book. That's Mark Benelli. Detroit City is the place to be the afterlife of an American metropolis, which sounds really cool. So it's it's um, yeah, he himself grew up uh, in Michigan and uh, went to the University of Michigan and then has since go on to do some really cool um, uh, uh, journalism and, and book writing um, Wow, he's he's done stories uh, on on a wide variety of folks, including Norman Mailer, Paul McCartney, Radiohead, Pussy Riot, Bruce Springsteen, Jay Z, etc., and is also Brad Pitt. If people like Brad Pitt, um, written some great books, and now he's here to talk about his latest one, which is about Detroit. So the program in the environment is co-sponsoring that talk. This is going to be again November seventh, five to six. 30 and that will be held in the hatcher graduate library gallery so just look it up check it out it'll be great so i think that's all we have to paul stromberg our kind engineer he had to push so many buttons today and did a wonderful job doing it um i'm sorry we went over thank you to weston for giving us moments of your time but he is up next 
This is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. This has been It's Hot in Here. Check us out on the web, hotinhere.us. And this song is going out to the great folks at the Jerk Pit in Ann Arbor because you played this song yesterday when Andre and I were there enjoying lunch. And I love it. Thank you. Have a great week. She want a good life No one to cause her pain and stress She want a good life No man to cause her pain and stress She don't want no unsteady relationship One way a rock like a rocking ship Want a love that's steady as can be One that brings back memory She want a good life No man to cause her pain and stress a good life, no man to cause her pain and strife. She's been in and out of loving, and she says she must confess. She's been used and abused, but there's no more time to lose. Oh no, because she want a good life, no man to cause her pain and strife. She want a good life, no man to cause her pain and strife. She wants a man that's filled with ambition One who'll sit down and set up a plan The future is secure for all life long She want a good life No man to cause her pain and strife To say she want a good life No man to cause her pain and strife Well, she is a sweeter than Cleopatra She's got style, she's got class Any man would want to pass But A good life, no man to cause her pain and strife. She want a good life, no man to cause her pain and strife. She says she want a man to settle down, not a man who want a girl in a heavy town. She want a man to treat her right, not a man who want to come in late at night. She want a good life, no man to cause her pain and strife. She must confess She's been used and abused But there's no more time to lose Oh no Because she want a good life No man to cause her pain and strife She say she want a good life No man to cause her pain and strife She don't want no unsteady relationship One way a rock like a rocking ship Want a life as steady as can be One that brings back memory She want a good life No one to cause her pain and strife She want a good life No man to cause her pain and strife woo Her pain and strife.